and then we'll read 8 verse 1 to 4 as well. So Romans 7 verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is a sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that I was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteousness requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Thanks, Fred. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Fred. I am the, uh, the resident pastor in retirement, but now and then I'm pulled out of retirement, and here I'm back on the pulpit again. Thanks, Marty, for, um, for reading to us from, um, from Romans 7, a very complicated uh, situation and even complicated to, to read. But um, what I'm trying to focus on this morning is Romans 8, verse 1 to 4, to explain that passage. Now, I, I promised you last week that I would present a message on the difference between a spiritual and a unspiritual person. That is between someone who has received the spirit of Jesus Christ and someone who has not, or not yet. But as I was preparing myself this week, I I realized that it was better to do some groundwork first. Otherwise, some of you may miss the point. And hopefully later on we have another chance to, to look into this chapter. So, why some groundwork first? Now, any builder can tell you there is no point in assembling a roof before you have at least built a framework that can support it. Or if you're a teacher, 
There's no point in trying to teach someone to multiply numbers if you haven't taught him to count first. So the ability to add up numbers is the necessary groundwork for understanding how to do multiplication. Now, to apply those examples to our topic for today, you first have to understand what is justification. It's a difficult word, but I hope to explain it. And then you need to know what is sanctification. And I hope to explain that as well. And these two words together are the necessary groundwork for uh, getting the message of Romans chapter 8. So let's get into it. In the scripture reading from chapter 7, we find a very personal confession of the Apostle Paul. He has a problem. And Paul doesn't mind to share that problem. For it's the problem of every Christian. It's this. We all know the difference between right and wrong. And we like to do what is right. And yet we do not always do what we know is right. For instance, we, we, um, we know that we have to be truthful and that lying is wrong. And as Christians, we want to be people of the truth. And yet, we often hear ourselves saying things which are not completely truthful. Just to get out of a bit of an awkward situation or to present ourselves a little bit better than we are. Which is a lie, really. Now, to put this problem in the Apostle Paul's words it's this God has given us a law to live by think of the ten commandments or even of the, the summary Jesus gives of those commandments love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself and we fully agree that is a good law and yet somehow this law and even our serious intention to keep it does not result in us doing what is right. That is a very frustrating situation. It brings the Apostle Paul to despair. What a wretched man I am. I know with my mind that the law is good and I'm keen to do what is good and yet I find myself doing things or saying things or thinking things which are not right. What's wrong with me? Paul knows the answer and he gives the answer. It's my sinful nature. The law may be good, but in me there is a weakness that prevents me from doing what is right. And it applies, by the way, to both Christians and non-Christians. Say someone is not a Christian. He can try as hard as he likes. And if he has religious zeal, like, for instance, the Pharisees had in Jesus' time, he can come pretty far with it. And yet, there is no way that he can fulfill the law. His sinful nature makes it impossible to please the Lord with any of his efforts. Now, when someone becomes a Christian, 
which is the work of the Holy Spirit, urging him to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour, then the picture changes. Sometimes even dramatically. A swearing and violent drunk can change overnight in a very nice and loving person. But even then, one problem remains. He still has his sinful nature that draws him back to sin. That makes him stumble time and again. Old sins that he thought he had overcome suddenly present themselves in full force again. And when he falls for it, it leaves him feeling, feeling awful and guilty. That's the situation Paul draws in the last bit of chapter 7. Have a look at, at verse 25. So then, this is a conclusion of this whole passage, so then, I myself in my mind, this is what I want to do, in my mind I am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Now Paul is in a kind of split. Fully committed to the will of God and yet there is this powerful hole of my sinful nature. Now in that same verse, 25, Paul has already suggested there is a solution. I don't have to remain a sinner who has no control over his natural desires. Rescue is available. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now how that practically works... Paul is going to explain extensively in, in chapter 8. Of all of us, it is tremendously important to understand this. There is a way to overcome your sinful nature. We are not uh, willless slaves to our sin, unable to resist our character flaws. As Christians, we can make progress and work ourselves out of the mire. How? Well, as I said, that's what chapter 8 is all about. In verse 1, he first picks up an element that he has already spoken about a few chapters earlier, in chapter 5. Have a quick look at chapter 5, verse 1. And it says there, and that's actually already a conclusion from the two chapters before that, but in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, faith, we have peace with God. Justified through faith. That's where the word justification comes from. Yeah? Just means right, good. And vacation comes from the same word that we know as fixing, making something. So justification, therefore, is making right or making just. And it means that though in ourselves we are sinful people who do not meet the requirements of the Lord and therefore are enemies of God and deserve death in hell, yet through our faith in Jesus we are declared righteous in God's sight. We are made just. Isn't that wonderful? Our sins that kept us away from God, are covered with the blood of Jesus. And then God says to us, Welcome to you, 
in my kingdom. You have believed that Jesus' payment was sufficient for your sins. That satisfies me totally. I have no reason at all anymore to refuse you access into heaven. I am reconciled with you and you can have peace with me. Be at ease in my presence. Now fancy that. The holy God for whom the whole world ought to tremble tells you be at ease in my presence. You are just as righteous as my son Jesus. That is the wonderful gift. Believers in the name of Jesus receive the very moment they come to true faith. Their sins are dealt with. They are no issue between them and God anymore. That is your salvation, friends. I rejoice in it. But the news gets even better. This, this justification, being justified, being right with God, is a permanent position. It's not so that what some people think, that, that at the moment you profess your faith in Jesus, you confess your sins, your sins are wiped out, the slate is clean again, but as soon as you commit a sin again, you're not justified anymore. And you have to find your way back to God by first overcoming that sin. Thankfully, it's not like that. You are justified anyway. Even a serious sin cannot change your status in God's eyes. You have become his child and he will keep you as his child. That is the glorious truth Paul reminds us of in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation whatsoever. Have you sinned as a child of God? You may condemn yourself. And also Satan is there quickly to accuse you. And you know what he whispers in your conscience? He said, you call yourself a Christian? And you do this? Don't let me laugh. Never heard Satan tell you that? I have. And in my misery, I felt now I've mucked it up. End of my position of being justified, being right with God. I'm not worthy any longer. No, no. Paul's remind me, you were never worthy in the first place. Now think of this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm still right in God's eyes. I'm still covered by the blood of Jesus. And that reminder brings me to humbly confess my sin and seek the Lord's face again. Please don't conclude now that then it doesn't matter whether I sin or not. Some people might think that. If I'm righteous anyway, what's the worry? 
I can do whatever I like. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. But a Christian can never come to that conclusion. Don't forget that this position of justification, according to verse 1, applies only to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not anybody can just claim this justification. No, you have to be in Christ Jesus before that is true of you. And you know what? If you are in Christ Jesus indeed, by faith in him, then sin becomes something that abhors you. For you know that every sin puts distance between you and Jesus. You will not feel at peace then. You cannot rejoice in him, for there is a sin to be confessed and dealt with. And the moment you do, trusting in the fact of your justification, that you are a child of God anyway, then slowly your sense of peace returns. That is genuine Christian life. Let's have a look now to verse 2, at verse 2. It continues, actually, the sentence of verse 1. And there is no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, what's that all about? Let's begin with the law of sin and death. Paul means with that the, the written law, law that we know as the Ten Commandments. Do this and don't do that. You know them, I suppose. But as we saw before, this law condemns us. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and you will live. But there is a sanction to it. If you don't do it, you're dead. You'll be condemned to hell. So the law, as we know it from the Old Testament, cannot save us and actually could never save anyone. All it could do was expose sin and proclaim death. And this is where the gospel comes in. When Jesus came, he did exactly what the law required. He loved God with all his heart and his neighbor as himself. He never transgressed any of the commandments. He was a perfect man, he was fully righteous. And the good news for us is that this righteousness of Jesus is given to all who are through faith in Christ Jesus. So, the core question to ask yourself is this, am I in Christ Jesus? Have I truly committed my life to him? Do I really love him? As we sang this morning, Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we love you. Am I a dedicated follower of Jesus? Am I prepared to make sacrifices for the well-being of my neighbor? Well, if that's true of you, congratulations. For then you are set free from the law of sin and death. It's sanction 
does not apply to you any longer. Instead, there works a new law in your life. And Paul calls that the law of the spirit of life. For those who are in Christ Jesus through faith in him, all those have the spirit of Christ. They all have the Holy Spirit living in them. And this Holy Spirit guides them. Not by an external law, like the Ten Commandments written in a book or on a tablet, but he guides them by inner motivation. And that's the big change God announced when he introduced a new covenant instead of the old one that Israel had. And Hebrews chapter 8 quotes what a new covenant entails. It says this, This is the covenant I will make with my people. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So these are the two core features of the new covenant. Forgiveness of sins, justification, and God's law written on your minds and on your hearts. And therefore, this justification will lead to sanctification. We'll come back to that word in a moment, sanctification. But we first need to listen to what Paul tells more about this new covenant, this new possibility of pleasing God with your life. I think after we've said so far, um, verse 3 is not so hard to understand anymore. I'll read it. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, remember? The good law couldn't do its work because our sinful nature resisted it too much. So let's read again. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. And let's stop again for a sec. Take note. God did. The law couldn't achieve it. We couldn't do it. God did something. Friends, our salvation is not brought about by ourselves. Our situation was absolutely hopeless. There was no way out. Sin was too powerful in us. So God himself took the initiative to bring a solution. What did he do? Let's read it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So God sent his son, the person we know as Jesus Christ. He sent him in the likeness of sinful man. Take note, it doesn't say he made Jesus a sinful man. Or Jesus was a sinful man. No, Jesus was sent in the likeness of sinful man. He came in the flesh with all the weaknesses of it. He could get hungry. He could get tired. He could get sick and he could even die. He shared with us in all the weaknesses of humankind. 
but one thing he did not share with us and that was a sinful nature Jesus could have sinned but he never did he withstood every temptation that came to him even the direct attacks of the devil didn't make him waver or pull him off track so here is the picture Jesus lived on earth he submitted to God's laws and fulfilled every single one of them he lived a life of total holiness and then he was crucified not because he had sinned all he had done was upset people they felt threatened by his holiness and wanted to get rid of him and they did a horrible story Jesus' life on earth ended on a cross. But look at the same story from God's perspective. And then you see a whole different picture. Jesus, the first sinless person on earth, was sacrificed on the cross as a sin offering. His death was payment for every sin of you and me. And of all those who believe the truth of this story and therefore place their trust in Jesus. God achieved something on the cross that nothing else could ever achieve. The innocent and sinless Jesus took the sins of guilty people upon himself and was punished by God for them all. And by doing that, by submitting himself to that, Jesus turned God's wrath away from all who are in Christ Jesus. They go free. Their sins have been condemned, their sins have been punished, their sins have been dealt with once forever. Is that the end of the story? No, it's not. It's the beginning of the story that it was about in the first place. And we read that in the next bit. And so, God condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. So what's the result of God punishing Jesus for our sins? It's this. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And that is where sanctification comes in. Sancti. You know that word? Saint. Holy, it means. And vacation, of course, again, has to do with fixing, making. You know, sanctification is making holy. Now, so those who have been justified, who have received justification, are now going to be sanctified. They're going to be made holy. For that is what God is after. His law, this was good, hasn't changed, still good. But the difference is once you are justified and understand the impact of that, you will be able to fulfill the requirements of the law. You make a beginning with a new life where you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Sure, there are still weaknesses. You haven't got rid of your old nature yet. And it will still bother you. And, and put brakes on. 
Getting rid of your old nature will only happen in heaven and on the new earth, which God has promised to those in Christ Jesus. But there is already a difference, a big difference. For as Christians, we do not live according to the sinful nature anymore, like we used to do, but now we live according to the Spirit. Now, what does it mean? Living according to the Spirit. It means in the first place that we are not dictated by the desires of our old nature any longer. We are not helpless in the face of temptation anymore. For there is a new power in us. It's the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The third person in God who was poured out on the church as soon as Jesus had gone to heaven. This Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ, is the one who makes you live, live according to God's holy law. And that's, that's actually why he is called the Holy Spirit. He takes responsibility for your growth in holiness. And you don't submit to God's law because you have to out of fear for punishment or so. No, you submit to the law because you want to. Because the Holy Spirit in you encourages you to do what is right. He moves you to follow Jesus and become like him, a man who loved God his Father above all and who loved his neighbor as himself. Now that is a big change in your life. So big that Jesus told us that you need to be born again in order to get there. And it's only those who are truly converted or born again who can make a start with the new life controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's a process. It takes time. There's no such thing as being sanctified just in one moment. You are justified in a moment. The moment you truly believe in Jesus, you receive a full pardon of sin. But changing your life in overcoming the desires of your sinful nature and being fully controlled by the Holy Spirit, that takes time, a lifetime, where you will regularly experience the struggle that Paul described in chapter 7. So this is a challenge for all of us to think through. Are we in Christ Jesus? by faith in him. And if not, pray for it, that you will be. And ask people to help you understand what it is. Check yourself, if you are in the faith, by asking yourself, what controls my life? What is it that makes me make the ultimate or the most important decisions? Is it my sinful nature which has its, its insatiable wants and desires? Or do I live according to the Spirit and seek God's will? Do I carefully listen to my conscience when in doubt? Or do I easily overrule my conscience with the reasoning that suits my sinful nature? Friends, 
I hope you do not feel that I have bombarded you with a lot of theology this morning, with all these difficult words. But as you know, I love good theology. But life is not about theology or about correct doctrinal understanding. Life is about loving the Lord with all your heart. Life is about loving the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Life is living according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word in which you explain so carefully what the gospel really is. How we can get access into a life with you. How we can become part of Jesus Christ himself. How we can be in him. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul explaining clearly to us that we are justified by faith alone. And that subsequently we are keen to be sanctified as well by the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that we allow the Holy Spirit to change our lives, to get rid of everything which is not in accordance with your will, and to grow in what you want to see in us, that we love you and we love our neighbor, and that we are keen to live a life that is obvious to everybody, that is different. So, Lord, help us to grow in Jesus. Help us to love him more. And Lord, give that this gospel, which is so easily twisted, and so easily misunderstood, may be proclaimed all over the world until the day Jesus returns. And Lord, we pray for all of us that we all may hear that we are welcome into his eternal kingdom. Lord, give that by faith. We hear already the words of welcome into the kingdom of Christ. So, Lord, bless us with that. Thank you for the opportunity to, to work in your word this morning. We pray that you would continue to guide us and to, um, to mature these words in our hearts as we enter into a new week. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.